My name's Kendra Houseman from Out of the Shadows, and you're about to listen to a series of interviews that took place over nine months. I want to know what life would be like for a child that had been through domestic abuse, parental mental health, poverty, and exploitation, to name a few. What would happen if we created a team, an army almost, to support that child? 28 people were interviewed, all with the same question in mind. What could have been different for child B? You're about to listen to Blondie's People. So follow us on our journey where I will speak to everyone from George the Poet to some of my good friends as we discover what it takes to become one of Blondie's people. Within these episodes, you will find answers, you will find guidance, and most of all, you will find an insight to a world that many do not know. There's a trigger warning for some of these episodes, and some of them are not child-friendly. We're going to talk about things that are very, very raw and real. So kick back and get ready for a journey, a journey you will not forget. Welcome to Blondie's People. Welcome to episode five of Blondie's People. And today we're going to speak to the epic, the queen that is uh, Kimberly Lamb, who is a voice for marginalised communities. She heads up the VERU, that is a Violence and Exploitation Reduction Unit, and she does this by speaking the unspeakable. I would say that speaking to Kim opened up my eyes to what could have been there for child B with the right support. And Kim is one of Blondie's people for two reasons. If child B had known Kimberly grown up as a child, things would have been very different. But also because right now she is changing things for people like child B and and that has to be recognised. So sit back and be ready to be blown away. So my name is Kendra Houseman and these interviews are for Blondie's people, people that I would look to as a child um, to respect, but somebody I respect as an adult. I ask everyone the same question right at the beginning. Who are you and what do you do? Oh, who am I and what do I do? So I'm, I'm Kimberly Lamb and um, what I do for work, I'm head of Bedfordshire's Violence and Exploitation Reduction Unit. But who I am, who I identify as, I guess, I'm uh, I'm a mother, I'm a wife, I'm a community member, I'm representative of those who look like me um, in in, in very strange places that I pop up. But most importantly, I think I'm becoming that person that I would have needed when I was younger. Let's be clear, viewers, before we go any further, I'm not worthy of this interview, right? So if I had known about... Kim, when I was a kid, it would have been when I grow up, I want to be like you. There's no, there's no way oh, around wow. that. So that is the level we're on. Just so people know, now people need to know the level we're on, right? So this is about Blondie's people, people that if I had as a kid that had people around them, would my life have been different? So you work with against uh, violence and exploitation within your unit. So talk, what, what does that look like? Like, is that everywhere? Is that just in Bedfordshire? No, it's everywhere. So, you know, in a nutshell, how it looks is the Home Office um, have, uh, based on a, something that happened in Scotland, so Scotland had a violent reduction unit way before we had a violence reduction unit. Um, there are 17 other of these units out there. Bedfordshire um, sounds slightly different in that we are a violence reduction unit, but we've put an E in there, um, and there's a reason for that. So we call ourselves a VERU with the E, and that's because we're a violence and exploitation reduction unit. And that's because we know that there's some clear um, crossover between violence and exploitation. And generally, what we do as a unit, um, we are not police-led. 
Uh, we work in partnership with police and other partners. And what we uh, aim to do really is to look at the causes of the causes, understand some of the reasons that some of our youth um, primarily um, are getting involved in serious youth violence, and to perhaps try and run some interventions alongside that um, to, um, you know, we're looking at um, a reduction of violence, but also looking at um, those who have already, the horses already bolted, to try and look at some things that we can do to support them, whether it's employability skills, educational skills, um, and we work, like I say, with partners. So we're working with local authorities, health, education, all of those areas, the, the prison service. Um, but the idea is that we're a unit that supports some of our young people who, um, you know, uh, they can either be victims or perpetrators, and I'm still trying to find out where the division between that two is. Sometimes, um, I always say when I speak that at times I was a victim, at times I was a perpetrator, but most of the time I was a victim and a perpetrator. Do you feel like people get that? Are people getting that, that we can be both? You know what I mean? Like it ain't always one or the other. In your area or the, or the, or the area you work in, do you see that? I mean, generally you do have people who hang them high. Someone's committed a crime, regardless of age, that's it. You know, you, you hear them. You know, yeah. put them in, throw away the key, um, sort of thing. So, of course, there's an element of people who don't get that. What I'm really concerned about um, is those who don't get it but are in positions of power and they're part of power constructs because that's why we have that issue um, with young people, perhaps a 14-year-old, not quite being looked at as being a child, um, you know, and being dealt with the same way perhaps as someone who's older. Um, and again, we also know even up to the age of 25, you can still have those differences as well. So um, do people get it? There's lots of people like myself, like you, that are out there doing wonderful things and we get it and we understand it and we understand that it's going to be part of stopping what's going on there. Yeah. But equally, there are people out there who don't get it. They're all about enforcement. They're all about, you know, locking the young people up, um, even adults, adults who are dealing with trauma. Um, so you're always going to battle with it. Generally, uh, you know, it's anecdotal. I can't say over there. I can't say Bedfordshire, for example. But there are enough of us who do get it within the police force, within the local authorities, education and health, um, to, to hopefully try and make a change. And that's where I think the um, our violence reduction unit is central to that hub, making sure people do get it. Because it's key. Or else it will go on and on and on. You're the voice out there. I mean, I, I read your tweets, I see the stuff you do, and you're the voice of the youth. Well, you're the voice that's saying, hang on a minute, we can't just say this person is this and this person is that. And um, we've oh. talked before, haven't we? And we've talked about stuff, and you're yeah. saying the same thing I'm saying is things like this. They go into a house, the, the police, whether they go into a house, there's three young people, but yet the child is still criminalized. Like, even though they might oh. be there for whatever reason, they're still criminalized. And for me, I get the essence from you that you just don't see it like that. You see that there's a contextual safeguarding that needs to take place for Absolutely. every young person. Absolutely. And if I'm honest with you, I'll touch on it now. Um, that comes from my own upbringing. Okay. So, you know, I, I myself, I was raised on a council estate. Um, we've talked about ACEs before, adverse childhood experiences, and the impact that can have on your trajectory in life. And that sort of default, almost, um, I hope, um, a judgmental, sort of area where people assume because you come from there this is going to happen well coming back to this sort of um, arena um, for me I know that there were people I grew up with and some have had the key you know those some yeah. of them being lost and the key has been thrown away yeah justifiably may I add yeah. um, but when I come back to myself as a child I tend to think to myself how did you get here who are you Kimberly and I can actually see those interventions 
soft interventions, you know, along the way, um, a, a caring grandmother who stepped in when my mother couldn't step in, a teacher who looked at me and thought, no, you, you, you can do a little bit more in your work, you know, you can be somebody, um, you know, other people who are aspirational that you looked at, you know, so again, come back to my estate, we didn't really talk about things like university and aspire to that, and in fact, I'm going to be really honest with you, we didn't inspire to even go, aspire to go to the next um, postcode. You know, we were West Londoners, but we definitely didn't go South London, don't say that personally, but we never went over to your side. You know, we had our own thing going on over here. But what that did mean is socially, economically, we, we were um, keeping ourselves in a bubble. Yeah. And we perhaps weren't open to those opportunities and those interventions. And we have to think, why did we feel that way? You know, what, what's happening in the system? And then coming back to, 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 to my circumstance, I think because I had those positive interventions, positive interactions with adults um, on there, I can see that it can make a difference, you know, not just with myself, with others, but equally I can see what happens when you have a lack of that happening in your life as well. You know, I, can, I, I know that side of the story. You're kind of the proof of the pudding, aren't you? Because um, you've come from a background that a lot of our young people are coming from, and I know that. And that sort of not being able to go out of your postcode um, and university not being an aspiration, it was university was never said to me at any point in my life did no one say, you know, you could go uni. That was never discussed. It was how they're going to keep me out of prison. That was the conversation I heard as a child. Yeah. How do we keep her out of prison? And you've gone beyond the boundaries. You've gone, actually, yeah, I recognise that I've got some adversities going on, but actually I'm going to push myself. So, so what was the next step for you? Did you think to yourself, right, I ain't, I ain't taking this. I'm going, to, I'm going to go and be someone. Is that what happened? Or did it come out about some other way? You, you, you know, it wasn't overnight, as I'm sure you'll appreciate. You know, so um, for me, it was beginning to see people who looked like me, who could do what I think possibly I could do. So that did start with my grandmother. So in fact, actually, although I say we, wasn't, we weren't taught about, you know, university and stuff, I meant more the educational system. Yeah, education. I'm, I'm 50. So, you know, back in the day then, um, it was very much like that. Um, but my grandmother, on the other hand, swore blind we were going to be prime ministers. We were going to be the first black prime minister. So she was very aspirational for us. And she really did push education because it meant something. Yeah. If I'm honest, when I was much younger, although I was a reader, I used to think, no, I can't see that. We can barely see us on TV, let alone getting into those places. The way I think the change happened is, and, and, and I've got to be careful here because I'm still friends with a lot of school friends, but um, the change for me happened a lot was when I was in education and I was being told by a particular teacher, for example, that, you know, you're quite capable in the area of maths. And then I'd look and think, oh, no, I'm not. Blah, blah is better than me at maths. So yeah. I'd look at blah, blah. And actually, the only difference between me and blah, blah was colour. And blah, blah, felt good at maths and knew about university and had a higher expectation from them, not just for within their families, but in their communities um, and from the teachers. That's yep. really important as well. So that change for me happened when I was sort of watching and mirroring. And I was thinking, well, actually, I finished my test quicker than you. Or actually, I scored more than you. And then I would start to speak to other students. And one of the things that I know bugged me when I was younger was that we were always, as black um, kids, always pushed towards sports. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. But we were. We weren't pushed in the academic arena. And um, the more and more I started to see that we weren't included in the, what we call the spelling bees, you know, spelling competitions. Mm. And when, you know, when the, when, I don't know, the TV came round, and we did have that once they came round and they wanted to do some sort of test, um, the geography testing, we were never picked. But we were always picked to be the best runners, you know, yeah. always picked to go and win those medals. 
that really was a switch for me because I was thinking, well, no, we can do more. And then I started to speak out more through books. Um, we didn't have internet at the time. I'm really going to show my age here. Reader's Digest. I used to really read that a lot. And then I discovered, actually, there's a big world out there beyond West London with people who are achieving wonderful things. I was very curious as to why we were never told about these wonderful things of people who looked like me, but that's where my digging started. And then I started to, 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 to put myself in places and to make sure that I was there, that I was curious, that I was asking questions and I was asking why. I still do that now to the annoyance of many. Being part of a marginalised community, and that's what I'm going to call it, a marginalised community. So for me... Because it I, is. Yeah, I noticed the same thing. Like, obviously I'm white, obviously. But I, all my friends, all my core friends were of colour, of different colour. And so I noticed the same thing. Like, my pals were pushed towards sports, even if they didn't like football. I'm not going to name names, but people watching this will know exactly what I'm saying. We had a couple yep. of players that were good at football, but we had a couple that were shocking. Yet they were pushed towards sports. I never was. I was never pushed towards sports. I was always do academic and I wasn't very good at it yet I'm, I'm 40 yeah I still see it now um, I still see young people being in marginalized communities pushed to what they think that they fit the mold so it's frustrating sure. to think that both of us have grown up I've seen it have been part of it and yeah. it still exists now it must be so frustrating for the young people today and then that breaks out when we're looking at prison sentences and stuff. It, I understand why people say, have I been given extra time because of the colour of my skin? Mums say that to me. A mum said to me the other day, I feel like my son has been punished harder for the colour of his skin. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't even need to, to, to validate what you're saying, to endorse it, to give reasons. We just no. need to look at David Lammy's report. You yes. know, so that speaks for itself. There's yes. definitely some sort of disproportionality happening throughout the criminal justice system. So that speaks for itself. Yeah. You're absolutely right. It's frustrating to still see it happening. That being said, my son is a sports scholar. So yeah. He did go down the route of, of soccer, but he sure as hell knew he also had to do his university degree. Yeah. He's doing business and accountancy at the moment. Very skilled soccer player. Nothing. I'm saying soccer, guys, because he's abroad. Sorry. Football yes, player. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, the, the point is there's nothing wrong with that. We've seen some and I know them as you do, you know, in our own year that have really aspired, there's nothing wrong with that. But we can do other things, we can excel at sports, but we also can excel at academia. Yep. And, and that was my thing, I wanted that to be out there. And for the young people I'm working with now, I want them to be aspirational um, and raise aspirations as opposed to this default position that because you come from or because you look like this must yeah. happen to you no when i had my oldest son and i've wrote about this before the social worker made it very clear that putting him in care would be the best thing because of me this kid would achieve nothing mm. he's gone and got a physics degree and my other son's in university now i'm not going all oh, my son's are in university because i'm just saying is i give them options no, i know i know what you're saying yeah it's not about you should or you shouldn't it's about giving our kids options if we give our young people options it gives them the mind growth to move forward i believe so I want to talk about youth violence. So what are you seeing? What are you seeing around youth violence? Um, is it increasing? Is it slowed down? What are you seeing at the moment? Because you're, you're not out there. You're having to work from home, aren't you? I am, but we are out there, actually, as a team. So we're still there. We're still, you know, connecting with people out there. Uh, I mean, COVID-related, what are we seeing with, uh, with youth violence? Well, we're seeing that it's changed. You know, county lines are no longer being done um, as visibly, I will say. 
um, as, as we think that that's out there, you know, that it was um, um, pre-COVID. Um, you know, our missing children, that's slightly different now. Okay. Um, you know, um, so that, that's gone down. Um, it's still out there. People like you and I know that it's still out there. So there's two sides to this story. I can either answer the question and line up with what we see in the media, or I can answer it quite honestly. It's still out there. Yep. Obviously, there are obvious things that has suppressed it in terms of physically going out on the street, doing what you did before COVID. But it's still out there. There's still a threat. And as far as I'm concerned, not to be alarmist, there's a ticking time bomb with all this trauma <sighs> that's happening at the moment. Yeah. Um, and I mention it in, in, in the vein of serious youth violence because, you know, if you imagine, rightly or wrongly, that you've got a young person who perhaps actually is topping up his mum's electricity. So he's doing his mum's lecky for whatever reason, doing his, you know, he's up yeah. and down the train lines. Um, that's impacting the home as mm -hmm. well as other um, economical restraints on there. Um, but also for himself, if he's self-sufficient at 13, 14, and trust me, there's some grown Young 13, 14, acting like grown men coming in, they've got their bills to pay as well. Not being able to do that, I suggest that when lockdown eases, we're going to get some of them going back to their activities to try and, and, and earn that type of money. And, and you know, that builds into it's multifaceted, that builds into the way that they live, it builds into inequality, it builds into deprivation. There's so many reasons why. Someone will want to go back to that lifestyle or will miss the income from that lifestyle. It, um, yeah. Everything you've just said, so you've not seen the interviews I've done previously because only three have gone out. You're going to love this. Everyone I've spoken to of a certain background has said exactly what you said. There's a spike coming. And I, I'm not going to name who, but look at Paul McKenzie's video. He talks literally word yeah. for word what you just said. You two yeah, have never... You've not spoke and seen his video. He just said the same sure. thing. The problem is, is there's young people right now accumulating debts that they need to pay. That's right. Because That's when right. lockdown happened, they would have had their, their food, their drugs, and that had to go somewhere. So I wonder sure. how prepared we are as professionals for this spike. I personally am prepared, but it's worrying, isn't it? Like how prepared are people yeah. for this surge that is going to happen? I mean, I talk to my team about that and I do talk on a wider avenue about that, but also about this, this opportune moment that we may have to be talking to perpetrators who actually want to come out of the lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's so many different things we could be doing in preparation. We could perhaps be liaising a little bit more. Um, you know, there are some who have actually enjoyed, and we're hearing this, being at home yep. in what has now become a safety point. And I say that because a lot of them have run away because they don't see it as a safe place yep. to be. Some people are at home thinking, wow, I can reflect now from young people. And I don't want to go back. There's this fear of going back out there. This is a moment perhaps that we should be capitalising on, um, you know, with that. And there, there, there is this ticking time bomb, and I, I hate to use that, but there is this ticking yeah. time bomb. But actually, we know there are enough of us um, professionals talking about it. Let's do something about it. Let's talk less, and let's collectively do something about it. Some of these things are quite obvious. They are. Quite obvious. Yeah. It's interesting. The people that I'm talking to around this video are saying the same thing. Let's use this as an opportunity to channel to them young people that maybe we couldn't have reached before. So it feels like a lot of us have got that same feeling about what, what, what do we do next? I've been looking at some of the stuff that you're doing. Can you tell me about hashtag knife free? Yeah, I can. So it, it, it's, I mean, I use that as a hashtag. It's actually the Home Office's one. And their hashtag yeah. knife free is just talking about being knife free. Um, you know, um, the statistics around, um, we know we speak to a lot of young people yep. who carry a knife. 
for safety, for protection. But we know that that knife is more likely to be turned around and used on you. So, you know, the whole knife-free thing isn't just about don't carry it, you no. know, and you're going to harm somebody else. You talk within the, the framework of the fact that you yourself could be harmed statistically with that knife um, and that you're more at risk if you have something with you to use it and then to end up getting yourself in a, a lot of trouble and worse still, um, fatalities, which we, we know have happened. You yeah, and you promoting it um, seems to have an impact. So I've been looking at stuff, some of the stuff that you've done on Twitter. People listen to what you're saying. So even though it's a government initiative, yep. when you put it out there, people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, Kimberly's saying it. It must mean something. So I think that sure. people with a voice need to talk about, I talk about it. We need to talk about this, this knife issue because young people aren't getting the fact of the harm they could cause to their self. Um, I said to one boy a little while ago, I said, are you trained in, in um, using a the knife then? And he was like, what do you mean? I said, but are you trained? Like, and he's like, no. And, and we talked about it. And afterwards he said, miss, I, I carry it because I'm scared. And for me personally, when oh. I carried a knife as a child, I was scared. I didn't think anything else. Right. It was fear. So I think it, we need to recognize that, don't we? We do. And there's some work that I do with um, uh, David Kirby, um, who is a consultant at our local one of our local hospitals. And he unfortunately has dealt with trying to save lives and, 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 you know, and, and, and equally losing lives of young people on, on his table. And he has been fantastic in coming around, supporting what we're doing in the very, but also talking to young people about that very thing, saying to them, do you understand that the knife that you may be carrying could be inflicting an injury on yourself? Um, and, and the other thing that he and I talk about, David and I talk about quite a bit, is not just the deaths, which are bad, um, that we're seeing, and, and I think being polarised by the media, Yep. It's the young people that we know that are in wheelchairs that are using colostomy bags, yeah. okay, that have got life-changing injuries, you know. Um, we don't talk about that enough because if we did, whilst talking about knife-free, perhaps we'll get the message across. For me as well, I think there's a hidden trauma. If you've ever stabbed anyone, as much as you should be punished if you stab someone, of course, um, I'm, I'm just going to put it out there, you know, the trauma from you inflicting that injury on someone um, can be massive massive but it's not addressed sometimes because the punishment is seen as what needs to happen so i think we do need a holistic approach to our young people to look at we are perpetrators and victims and how do we support that yeah i yeah. want to and there's some commentators who have mentioned that sorry kendra there's some commentators mentioned that and equated it to going to war as well as some of the trauma oh. so we talk about pt um ptsd yep. and bits and pieces so there's a whole area there um, and I've witnessed the stabbing myself as a young child. Um, okay. So, you know, I, I can vouch for that. There's trauma behind it. I, I said on a different interview, it's mad, it'll come out. I said in a different interview that um, I compare stuff that I saw to being like a war. I saw stuff that, when I think about it now, but I had a young boy who, who was working with a gang. He was involved in the gang. And um, when I first met him, he was this bullshy little bad boy. And then he saw some stuff and he started having anxiety attacks that, it's, it, it still gets me emotional. He used to shake in my hat, in my arms, and say, you know, I talk about the things he'd seen. But when I went to get in mental health support, they said, well, if he talked about his crime, yeah. we will have to, we'll have to pass it on to the police. Yeah. Well, and what do you do with that? You know, I don't know. So the trauma that that is that comes from youth crime in all different ways is just multi-layered, isn't it? It is, and then, you know, that actually sums up the young people that we're working with. We all know, those of us who work within safeguarding, if there's anything that's said to us that 
you know, suggest that person may be at risk or somebody else is at yeah. risk and blah, blah, blah. We do the right thing because that's what the system has said that. But there is a lot of holding back yeah. and talking to people and telling, um, I call it truth to power in whichever way, not just within the workplace, yeah. like young people speaking up and talking because of that fear. And I think coming back to the whole idea of violent reduction, yeah. violence reduction units, is that we have to recognise that. We have to recognise if we really want to know the causes of the causes, yeah. we need the right people, number one, to be heading these things up and being in them and working in that. You can understand that language. If you were in a school, I say this to people, you probably would hear in, in a school in an inner city, someone saying they're going to shank someone a thousand times. If I was to sit and fill in a form for every person who said they were going to do that, and I don't yeah. want to alarm anybody out there who thinks you need to fill in a safeguarding form all the time, my point is, if you understand the way of the streets and you understand the language and you understand the young people and you understand a lot of what we're seeing is a manifestation of trauma in their language, you know, someone will tell you that they've shanked someone and actually they're probably bigging themselves up and they haven't. You need the right people in those spaces to be able to support before we report, you know? Absolutely. What's your feeling? And I mean, I know my answer to this, but what is the importance of multi-agency working for these young people? What, why, why, does, why does it matter if we work together or not? I think it's very important. I think it's really, really important. And, and there's two sides to that. Okay. There's the talking the talk, because everyone's talking about multi-agency report, multi-agency working and blah, blah, blah. And we know that works in theory. Yes. So there's actually walking the walk, which is very different on there so for me multi-agency working uh, working is is, is, is it's, it's absolutely paramount that we do that because you've got different specialities we know that actually that is what a wraparound service is that's yeah. what a holistic looking after is. it looks like yeah. it's a bit like a family if you've got someone that's a bit toxic or a bad apple and i'm being honest here yeah that isn't in it for the right reasons yeah and that's where you get a breakdown that's where you get a breakdown. So we could talk about multi-agency working, um, co-working till the cows come home. But if you have a whole agency or a whole culture yeah. that doesn't understand why you want to need to work together for the betterment of the young person, then it's all chat as far as I'm concerned. Do you think that it will change? Do you think that multi-agency will improve? Do you think we've got the capacity as human beings with everything that's happened to make that change? You go, right. We need to work together. Do you, do you feel that change is coming? I'm not sure. I do. I do. I, I, for me, I can only talk about Bedfordshire at the moment, um, where we're really doing things. I can see those green shoots. I can see that yes. we're working really well together. And that's great. And that we're, 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 we're um, dealing with challenges and barriers and things. But I think, that, to be honest, it's that Rome wasn't built in a day. Within these structures, um, within government structures, we've got cultures. Yeah. So I can sit around the table in a strap meeting and I can have a social worker with the best will in the world yep. who understands about, you know, multi-agency working and we want to do things together. She needs to have that backup. I need to have that backup yeah. with what I'm doing. So to answer your question, there are certainly a lot of well-meaning people out there, mm -hmm. different agencies, different parts and what have you, um, who could make this work. We need the cultural, the, 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 the power structure to be working as well. I think this is a good place to explain kind of what I'm doing with Blondie's people because I've not said it in any other videos. So what I'm doing, I don't know if you've clocked this or anyone else has, I'm interviewing people that is, if Blondie had had that team around her, life would have been different. And then when I've interviewed everyone, I'm going to put it together and I can present it as a team to say, does she need to have 
Kimberly Lamb, or does she need somebody like her? And my hope is by showing all these different people. So for me, sure. yeah, if you had been, um, if there had been a um, reduction, violence, and um, exploitation unit around Blondie as a child, I'm sure life would have been completely different. That didn't exist. That wasn't even on the radar. And because I was a white female, I didn't get recognised as being involved in gangs. Nobody wanted to help me until I become the victim of exploitation. So I'd done all this stuff and they were, they, that was ignored, kind of. So I think for having somebody like you or the unit there would have made a big difference. Do you agree? Do you think that our, our, gen I mean, our generation missed out? Yeah, I'm, I'm really biased, but you're absolutely right. I love what you're doing, by the way, and I really Thank love you. the idea of, of these selected people, hopefully me included, getting together. Because I started out saying exactly the same thing as what you said. That I'm who I am is yep. hopefully I'm becoming. Yes. I have to say I'm becoming because I'm not there yet. <laughs> I'm becoming the person that should have been around um, that I would have needed when I was yep. younger. Um, and, and you're expressing the same thing. So I do think that we have now, on reflection, we are now growing and we are now providing and we're now trying to be. We're not doing what I hate, and I'm sure you hate the tick box thing. Or reactive I can't bear the reaction no county lines guys it's been around forever in a day you, all right so I wasn't gonna go <laughs> down this road, but that's just right so this is a thing Sorry. I had this conversation with other people so I hate the word county lines for a start right but kids and I've said this in another interview um, people have been going country for a long long time okay ever. So when I was 12, I met my first countryman. So they were the ones that only went country, yeah? Not county lines. That went chatted about, but he went country. And then when I was, I remember I was exploited. I didn't go country. When I was forced to go country. So when they say things like county lines is a new thing, I'm just like, so what do you call that then? What do you call what was going on there? What did you call that? And, you know, it's even like this term hard to reach, which I'm sure you hate as well as I do. Um, and it, it always amazes me when we ever get told this is a hard to reach set of people. Yeah. I'm just breezing up and reaching them. So hang on. <laughs> Are we hard to reach as practitioners, as a system, or is it them? I think it's more us. You know, what does hard to reach mean? You know, what does it mean? So it is this terminology. And I guess this is what we have to do. We have to be vocal. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I have little respect. Here I'm going to be controversial. Here we go. People who sit in these spaces and are quiet and just doing their day job. We're not in these spaces. Just to go be home. Quiet. Just go home. Just go home. If you haven't got just fire, go what are you doing here? If you haven't got fire, what are you doing here? Yeah. But they, maybe it'd be bad if there was too many people like us. Maybe things would just be a bit mental. Like we'd be out there like. <laughs> <laughs> I got a bit of a theory about that. Maybe if there were too many people like you and I, maybe we would be the ones who were behind bars and <laughs> <laughs> and the key would be thrown away. Um, yeah, because I guess my point is, and obviously it's not to, to knock any of my colleagues or anything like that, but you cannot stand in this space and not not necessarily want to make a difference. We're not here. We're not going to you know feed the world. No. But you have to be here for a purpose because these young people need that. They need you to be patient with them. They need you to believe that they can. They need all of these things. And if you're just coming to do your nine to five or you're just doing it because it's a great photo opportunity for you and your organisation, oh, I've got no respect for you. You've heard it here. Go I home. I've nicked, you're going to like this, right? I've nicked this off your LinkedIn, right? And it says, because when oh, I no. who are you? No, no, you're going to like it, right? <laughs> I haven't updated that for a while. Doesn't need to, right? Because you didn't know I was going to read this out, right? But this shows no. how uh, genuine. This is why people, look at okay. why are you panicking? Watch this. Who am I? <sighs> It's simple. 
I have a personal passion for community safety, empowering young people and adults in all aspects of education, work and community life. And you didn't even know I was going to read that out. And you've just backed that with your own words. Oh, I, thought he was gonna, I thought he was going to talk about me winning the spelling bee or something when I was eight. Uh, no, um, yeah, that, that's me. That, that's, that's me in a nutshell. You know, it will be an irritant to some who perhaps don't want me in that space. And for some, they'll run with it. And we're, you know, we're vibing the same way. And we want the same things for our young people. To have genuine people like you around is a godsend because i know full well that if you was in a meeting and somebody chatted some rubbish you would like you wouldn't have it and and that's why you're part of blondie's people because you're never gonna know a child no. is suffering and think oh i can't deal with that right now you're like no no no, no. this is being yeah. dealt with okay yeah. and you know i think that here's the thing the, the, the other thing perhaps we never spoke about you mentioned diversity earlier yeah. it's that resilience I think um, I, I never look back on my life, and I don't know how you feel, but I never look back on my life and have any regrets now. I, for me, it's lesson learned, but one of the main things for that is resilience. So yes, if I'm in the meeting and you're talking, as the kids say, you're getting it from me. I'm not gonna sit there, I won't agree to anything that I don't agree with. There's compromise, there's adult compromise. You learn that you can't be out there throwing hands all the time, you know, and that's some of the things that we have to learn, I guess, as, as skills to our young people. I'm still learning, you know, I'm still learning that. Yeah, and it's difficult, you know, and I do appreciate that. And you can't get into these spaces always being that combative. I can't be Angela Davis all the time, but yeah, you definitely, you're absolutely right. If I sit around the table, people will know this, you're not going to talk rubbish to me. I'm going to challenge it. And in challenging, I'll also accept I could be wrong. But my thing is, yeah. let's dialogue. Prove me wrong. Tell me why I'm wrong. And we can move on. But don't just, the burden, give me this rubbish. Because I'm going to challenge you. I love it. I just Life depends on it. Yeah. Life depends on it. And, and, and if more people thought like that and realised that lives do depend on our voices, we are the voice of the youth that can't project that voice. Sometimes in a meeting, the child's voice isn't there. So we're the one that's been there. You've got to fight that fight. And that's that. You've got to. That being said, um, it's not always an easy space to stand in. So, you know, it's, it's for me as a mother, um, I've always told my, my um, children to challenge things, to ask why. And to also appreciate that what you're challenging, you may be wrong. You yeah. may be wrong. But if you don't spark that dialogue, yeah. equally, it's not an easy place to stand. No. It's not. You know, this is no surprise to you, but there's not a lot of heads of violence reduction units who look like me, a black no. female. So that will come with its intersectionality. That my, my protected characters, they, they rub some people up the wrong way visibly. Yeah. And that's a fact. So sometimes when you speak, people don't want to hear what you've yes. got to say. Do, do you think that just makes you stronger, though? Do you think it just builds up more resilience? Absolutely. Again, resilience. Absolutely. But I think, if I'm honest, my resilience to this point has allowed me to do that. Okay. So it's allowed me to be in that space. And I'm going to be really honest with you. You know, I'm not this tough cookie. My husband will tell you this. I'm not this tough. Well, I can hold my own, I ain't though. But what I mean is I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm quite a, um, an emotional person. Yeah. I wear my heart on my sleeve. So what I don't want to come across as saying, you know, anybody who comes at me, I'm like, I don't want to be in those positions. So there are times when I walk out of a meeting, for example, and I think, 
wow, that was so challenging. Why has it always got to be so hard? Do you know what? Today, um, I've had a bad week of, of fighting other professionals and I'm not going to, right, whatever, right, but I've had a hard week. And I've said to my, my very close friends, what, what happens when I can't fight anymore? And why do I go. have to keep fighting? Because I get the same thing. People think I'm very hard, but there's some things that floor me and only my closest people see that. Do you know yeah. what, Kimberly? Why are we still fighting the same? Why is it still a fight? Like, just stop it. And, and that's yeah. the thing people don't realise is, I don't know about you, but I get tired sometimes of... I of get constantly. very tired. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that actually was my point. You know, my point that I'm not, I'm, I'm very unapologetic about this. People who, I was going to say, people who are close to me know this, but equally people who are not close to me know yeah, this. Yeah. I can be vulnerable. Yeah. And I, I feel no way to show that side of me as well. So, you know, resilience isn't just about coming up against things and being able to push through and bounce back. Um, it's, I think, showing your vulnerability as well. And I can be vulnerable because I have had those adverse childhood experiences. Yeah. I'm being honest. I do look at some of the young people and I think, gosh, I, I truly know what you're going through. Yeah. I truly know what you're going through. Yeah. Not in a patronising way. Obviously, I would never say that to them, but I sit there and I think, gosh, you know, what can I do different to change yeah, your yeah. trajectory? So there is a vulnerability as well yeah. as a resilience um, um, around me. But I think that makes, that makes me me. It does make you know. I, I I don't tuck it away all the time. People will see that, and that's where my passion comes from. For me, my biggest problem is sleep. So I, I try and leave my job at the end of the day. That's a lie. I I don't. My job is not safeguarding children. I safeguard children. I just happen to do that as a job as well. I live it and breathe it a bit like you. So for me, my vulnerabilities come at night time when everything starts slowing down, and then I'm one o'clock in the morning thinking. So what exactly do I do with Charlie? Like what exactly am I going to do with him? So I know that you're like that. And I think that, sure. I think people know that as well. And they respect the fact that you're fire, but also know that you take that stuff home with you. And that's, that's something from our adversities as children. We yeah. carry that with us. Yeah. You, you take that responsibility. And actually yeah. this really is from our childhood. Um, you feel responsible for other people. So I've always yes. felt responsible for those that I grew up with, uh, my good friends who are no longer with me um, uh, th through crime. Um, you know, and I, I mean physically with me um, and, and not in the prison, you know, plus, you know um, that, that have died. Um, yep. I, that pain still stays with me. It's I still cool. think to myself, you know, should, should I have, uh, have spent more time with them? Should I not have left the end? You know, that happens all the time. Should I have not left the end, you know, yeah. sort of thing. So there is that, that responsibility that you feel that you have to do. And a lot of what I do, I'm responsible for my own children. But yeah. I say this all the time. Every child out there feels like my responsibility. Yeah. And I think coming back to that thing where I talked about being a black female and intersectionality and being treated differently, yeah. um, I never quite understood that. Because for me, when I look at children, I see children who are going to be adults mm -hmm. sitting at these tables, I see no colour. And when I say I see no colour, that's another one of my annoying things. I want people to see my colour, so sorry, let's rephrase that. I don't see it as any different. Vulnerability is vulnerability. I want them to aspire and to do extremely well regardless of where they come from. So when I come into an adult world where people make a big thing of you being different, looking different, putting you down, I just don't get it. No. But maybe that's the answer as to why some of our children are quite damaged. Uh, yeah, because I think it's that's that mental. Yeah. But you will go that way because you look like that or because you, you come from that type of background. It's so wrong. 
I think that, I mean, this video is aimed at lots of people, but I think if a young person watched this and heard you speak, I think you'd bring them comfort in knowing that they're not mad in thinking that they, they feel different. I no, think the words are very powerful in the fact of they, they can own that. Yeah, that's actually happening in some areas. And I think it's important that it's said, and, and that's that, it's, it's important it's said. Okay. Definitely, definitely. I ask everyone a last question, so I'm going to let you breathe it in a minute, okay? What okay. What have you learned about yourself from lockdown? Gosh. A lot. A lot, actually. Um, if I shoot from the hip. Go on. I lost my younger brother through COVID. So if that hadn't happened, maybe my answer would be slightly different. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm forced on top of the normality of COVID to be really, really reflective. All right. So I've learned the, the little things that, you know, when someone calls you, you call them back. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, maybe you can set your work aside. That's an important one for us who don't sleep very well. Um, maybe there are other things that you need to really pay attention to. That's one thing on there that, you know, um, you know putting time into people yeah. um, and, and making time. But I think this is the other thing, making time for yourself as well. And what I've learned a lot about that is that, um, you know, you can help in different ways. So the job that I do is helping towards the narrative that we talked about. But my silent time in my garden, so, you know, I'm a bit of a tree hugger. I tell people that I grow my own. I am, that's me, yeah. <laughs> I grow my own. Um, and, and that time can be just as precious as important yeah. as you sitting there and planning for your next meeting because it gives you time to sort of think about what you're doing, maybe not be so rational about stuff. And also what I've learned about myself is that actually the work that we do is very, very traumatic. And it I know is. I'm perhaps facing the very, very obvious here. No. As resilient as we are and as tough as we are, we need that time because it does feel like you're in a war. Yeah. And COVID, you know, lockdown has really taught me that, that, you know, um, I say this to everybody, I say this to the young kids, you know, um, the race is not for the swift, it's for those who can endure it to the end, I think that's yeah, what yeah. it is, and I say pace yourself, I say to my team, pace yourself, you know, it's the long game, Long game. But actually what yeah. I've learned is I need to say that to myself, I, I'm, I'm in it, for anybody watching this video who thinks that Kimberly's going anywhere, however hard you try, I'm in it for the long game. <laughs> Always. I'm in it for the long game. So because of that, what I've learned from um, from lockdown is that I do need to pace myself because I want to be around to be able to do this type of work, to hand the baton over to those um, who are younger than me, um, and to keep this going so that we, 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 you know, this is a sustainable thing, not just something that happens to be the thing the media talks about at this time. No. This has been one of my favorite interviews and I'm going to say it I'm sure anyone watching this is saying this but for me you're one of the queens around child protection so oh you deserve that down you deserve that downtime because you I wish that you'd been there when I was a kid is all I'm saying and I appreciate you talking to us um, likewise thank you. likewise thank you thank you